Good morning. Thank you, Aaron and worship team, for leading the music, and thank you, Jonathan, for reading. I apologize for the length of the uh, second scripture there. Uh, last week, Aaron represented the young adults. Uh, next week, Kevin will represent the not-so-young adults. Monica will represent our uh, maturing youth, and I represent the aging population of Bethel. <laughs> That's just about how Matt told me <laughs> about the plan for August. He really did. He tried to repair, to say that that included people in their 50s. Nice try. <laughs> um, the problem is, with being aging, I have a lot to share, so we could be here a while. Hopefully, just kidding. Some of you know me well. Some don't know me very well at all. Let me introduce myself a bit. I'm Jan Lanham's husband. <laughs> I'm the father of Jonathan and Gregory Lanham. I'm Karen's father-in-law. And last but not least, I'm Becca's Bapo. Bapo, that's the name. But I'm a clinical social worker by training and by vocation. Um, I was trained with an undergraduate degree at Eastern Nazarene College and my master's at Boston College. And by clinical social work, it implies that I focus primarily on the work of counseling and psychotherapy. I spend my week seeing about 30 to 35 clients, coming with a range of issues and problems. And um, I see adult, uh, young adults, adult individuals, and do a reasonable amount of couples counseling. That's how I spent my week. When Pastor Matt asked me to speak, he suggested that we focus on our faith journey, how God w has walked with us. As I thought about sharing, I decided to focus on a primary theme of my Christian walk and emphasize a particular time in my journey. Let me digress just for a moment and take a brief look at the gospel scripture that was just read. Listen to the profound, perplexing statements that Jesus was saying to his disciples. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you know me, you know my Father. It is my Father living in me who is doing the work. He will send you another, some say advocate, some say counselor. I like that translation. Um, and to be with you forever. And this is the spirit of truth. I am in my Father, and you're in me, and I am in you. Think about those words for a moment. These were profound, perplexing statements to the disciples at the time, and I would argue they continue to be profound, perplexing statements um, to us today, Christ followers. We have a number of well-studied scholars among us, but who can fully understand the depth and the breadth of the triune God and how God chooses to work in our world? I will continue to be on that theme. The primary theme I would like to talk about here is a foundational concept for me 
in my faith journey. And that is the idea that I experience God as constantly stretching me, stretching me in my life, as well as the need to be grounded in my faith journey. Let me share just a little bit about my last week. Um, in review a few of my clients, I always do this when I teach a class in marriage and family counseling. I just review the previous week to see some of the real issues that people are dealing with. On my Monday appointment, an older couple who was struggling with blended family issues, but they very much embraced the religious right political movement and often invite me to attend meetings, rallies, and demonstrations. It's really quite meaningful for them and a way for them to connect. It stretches me in ways I'm not too comfortable with. On my Friday appointment, a young adult male who grew up in a mega church in the South, but left, both due to some of the hypocrisy that he experienced, but also the reality that they, he knew they could not accept him, a gay male. My Tuesday appointment, a client who I hadn't seen for several years, who has a history of depression and anxiety, has managed very well, reported that her husband of 40 years was just diagnosed with a large and operable tumor on his liver. She said, please assure me that it's going to be okay. My Friday appointment, early, 8 o'clock, <laughs> a very devout Christian man who is devastated that his wife of a number of years has said that she has done and has started the divorce process. He desperately wanted the marriage to work. My last appointment of the week, a Christian man who is having to come to terms with the impact and the results of his addiction, which includes the end of his marriage and limited contact with his children. Also has some moments of inspiration during the week. An African-American woman who has a history of significant rejection and abuse in both her family and in church community, but now is embracing a vision to develop a ministry to young women of color where she can encourage, where they are encouraged and validated and encouraged to have a voice and to share their stories. A woman who is diagnosed with prolonged chronic and ultimately terminal illness, um, but at, since her diagnosis, she has developed a much deeper relationship with God and finding ways to share her faith with others in ways that she could never have imagined prior to her illness. We often rejoice together. To do my work professionally, as well as to continue to grow in my faith journey, I have come to realize the importance of being grounded in my faith, but always being willing to be stretched in ways that I could only imagine. As you can see, there's no easy answers to these issues that confront my clients. You can also see God's amazing grace at work. I need to be both grounded and always allow for God's stretching to do the work that God has given me to do. I'll keep repeating that. How did I get to this point and embrace this foundational concept? Let me share some of my own history and, and parts of my story. I will focus uh, specifically on my experience on my first two years at Eastern Nazarene College. 
If time permits, I'll share more. Like any good social worker, I'll share a bit of the family history. First, we start there. Always check out the family. I was the seventh of nine children born to my parents. That's nine. I was the youngest of four brothers and had five sisters. I grew up on a large farm in Northern Virginia. It was a 500-acre farm with pastures and woodlands that bordered the banks of the Potomac River. The farm raised and sold beef cattle and pigs, a little different from Quincy. My father managed the farm for a wealthy family. We were rather poor. By managing the farm, my father was compensated by being given a farmhouse uh, to raise his family, acres for a large garden, that's why I continue to not like working in gardens, <laughs> several pigs to butcher each year, and a very modest income. I don't know how my parents did it, but very limited resources. Neither had more than an eighth grade education. We attended the Leesburg Church of the Nazarene. We started attending a few years before I was born. My parents, as well as my family, was very involved in the church. Like many churches in Virginia in the 60s and early 70s, it was rather legalistic, emphasized the rules and the don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that. And there was a good amount of hellfire and brimstone being preached. But it was a community of wonderful fellowship, an extended family who really cared for one another. I could go on and on about the many people in the church who cared for me and my family in meaningful, special, and very formative ways. My older brother and sister had attended Reconnaissance College, and up until the summer of my junior year, I was planning to attend Trebekah as well. During that summer, my father had his first heart attack. I still remember the hot summer day when I was cleaning up from work and my mother called for me. My father was grabbing his chest, having difficulty breathing, and we called for the ambulance. I had to drive out of the farm lane, which is about a half a mile off the main road, um, to direct the ambulance back to the house. My father survived, was weak, but could not work for several months. I decided I could not go away to college. I felt a strong need to stay, uh, to go to school locally, live at home, and work to help. During my senior year, my dad could return to work, light duty, and that spring I was accepted in George Mason University in Falls Church, Virginia, about 20 miles from my home. I would commute to college. Then that spring, the a cappella choir from ENC came and gave a concert. I was working, I didn't attend the concert. But two students, Noah Thorpe and Warren Holloway, uh, stayed in my house. I got up early and drove them back to the church that morning. I also touched base with Bud Reedy, who was a freshman in college at that time, and Reverend Schaff, who was the representative of the missions department. Well, after some conversation, I submitted an application. I was unsure of my plans. After my high school graduation, at the end of the senior year, I went away for a few days with friends to Chickateague Island and Ocean City, Maryland. First time I had seen the ocean. When I returned four days later, my father had a second heart attack. Um, I decided to stay home and to go to college at George Mason. 
But after several conversations with my youth leader, a woman who was very instrumental in supporting a youth musical choir that I was a part of, and even with my mother, uh, I was encouraged to trust God to take care of my father and to go to a Christian college, UNC. In September 1972, I left with my youth pastor. He was driving me. Go. <laughs> Uh, a friend from a rival high school and his mother, and I drove past southern Pennsylvania for the first time in my life to attend ENC. It was a good fit. It really was good. I think the trip took us about 15 hours. Long trip. I'd like to focus a little bit on the stretching and grounding at ENC. And as I tell my clients, I'm sharing what, and I'll say in this context, what God has encouraged me to share. If it sticks, hold on to it. If not, let it go. It's okay. You don't have to hold too tightly. The first semester, Biblical History and Literature class. Early in the first classes, Professor Munn began to compare and contrast the various creation stories of the ancient Jewish times. And a number of the students walked out of class. I was intrigued. The following class, Professor Mun gave a wonderful, passionate presentation of the leap of faith. He shared how our Christian beliefs stand solely, cannot stand solely on historical facts, scientific proof, or absolute proof. This is my paraphrase, phrase, it's been a while. But that we embrace we embrace Christian tradition, the teachings, and our beliefs as a step of faith. We cannot prove it. We choose to believe and to embrace and to take the leap into God's arms. Wow. I never forgot that class. Sophomore year, Introduction to Philosophy and Religion, Dr. Kaufman. We were asking the inevitable question, what happens to those who never hear the gospel? The story of salvation through acceptance of Jesus Christ as their savior. After much discussion and reactions of classmates, Dr. Coffin made a statement that has been most formative for me. He said, possibly when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, that way may be much broader much deeper, much beyond anything we can fully understand. Can we leave that to Jesus? This concept has been incredibly freeing for me. I began to consider that the triune God and God's love for me and God's work in this world, which much greater than anything that I could fully understand, comprehend, and certainly not contain. There's no way we can limit God's work in our world. And that God's work in ways that I can only begin to imagine, I was stretched in my thinking and my understanding and did not need to limit God. Wow. April 23rd, 1974, my sophomore year, about 7.30 a.m., I received a call from my older brother, to say that my father had died. 
He died about 2 a.m. in the morning, had a heart attack the previous night, was hospitalized, and died in the night. I flew home that morning, spent a week at home with the family, and returned to complete classes and exams for my second semester. It was not an easy time. I went home, worked the summer, questioned if I could return to college again. Would God take care of my mother? Who would take care of my mother? That summer, for the first time, I remember getting angry at my mother. And it's a true statement. <laughs> um, she asked me to do something, and I yelled back, why do I have to do it? It was something that my father would have done. And I was sitting at the head of the table in my father's seat. As I look back, little did I know that I was in the midst of trying to manage my grief of the loss of my father. During that time, for the first time in my memory as well, I questioned not just, is God real, but why should I bother being a Christian? After all, I've been a pretty good kid. Not perfect, but pretty good, pretty faithful, and pretty good about helping others. People had told me to trust God would take care of my father. And now my father was gone. I remember the night I was riding around Leesburg. That's what we did on summer nights. Um, <laughs> you know, I stopped to have a burger at the fast food restaurant that I had worked with, worked at the senior year, and was talking to a nominal friend, not even a great friend, and we were sharing a philosophy of life. It was kind of a hippie moment at the time. <laughs> and the thought came to me as we were talking in a very powerful way. My relationship with God, the Christian journey, and following the life of Christ provided a hope that I could not see anywhere else. It did not provide guarantees. It did not provide certainty. But in the midst of the challenges of life, I understood that a relationship with the triune God provided a hope that I, can, that I could hold on to that just might sustain me in the midst of the challenges and the tears of shared life together. It was worth the jump, the leap. At that time, I chose to take the leap again into a much deeper and more meaningful way to say to God, I give my life to you. That was the point that I consider as my genuine conversion. And I can say today that the hope and that leap has sustained me throughout my life with its many wonderful blessings and its challenges and tragedies. Thanks be to God. But let me continue into my ENC years. I returned to ENC my junior year. I began my studies in training in social work, which also included a healthy dose of sociology and psychology. I went to quickly both acknowledge and affirm my major professors and how they continue to influence the stretching and the grounding process in my life. Dr. Don Brickley, you know the Brickley Center at ENC? He was my sociology professor. In racial and ethnic minorities, he introduced the concept of institutional racism. I was a young man who grew up in segregated schools during my elementary years. Looking at systems 
and looking at institutional factors changed everything. In the class, the family, again taught by Dr. Brickley, I saw my first full view childbirth movie. <laughs> it was painful. <laughs> I met my first communist and I met my first gay advocate. During the Boston busing crisis of 1975, while others were telling us to stay away from the dangers of the city, he was encouraging his students to serve as bus monitors, to go to demonstrations, to turn towards the city, not away. He also modeled that. What better place to have these experiences um, than in the classroom of a Christian college. Dr. Ruth Bullock, professor of social work, she taught and modeled um, the need for and the benefits of empathy and the value of having dignity and respect for all clients despite their limitations their overwhelming challenges in their lives, or the overwhelming challenges of their lives, or their harmful choices. What a gift. I continue to see that empathy, that respect, and that dignity of the individual is the foundation to all relationships. Dr. Paul and Dr. Fish, they educated us about mental health, teaching about disease, disorders, um, addictions, conditions that needed help and intervention. Much of society in those 70s, and especially in the church, was viewing mental health conditions as the conditions of moral character, simply one's choice, or being punished by God, or a result of not trusting enough in God. Unfortunately, I still hear ramifications of that thinking even today. They also taught us about healthy relationships, individual and family development, in ways that I know now was far ahead of, uh, of their time. Dr. Gailey, both a sociologist and a missionary, if you think about that, a bit of a challenge. He always demonstrated the best in scholarship and being faithful the work of church and missions and model that. He could teach and confront huge issues and complexities of enculturation, the domination and manipulation of cultures, as well as the saving grace of Christ on the mission fields. Wow. The list could go on and on. What wonderful gifts to have Christian professors who were willing to stretch students in ways that we can never imagine, and providing a grounding foundation based in education, the most recent developments in our field, and a vision and call to Christian service and ministry. That's why we read 1 John chapter 4. I would like to share in conclusion at least one set of experiences that for me demonstrates how this tension of stretching and grounding came together for me personally, professionally, and in ministry. In the mid-80s, our world was confronted by the AIDS epidemic. At the time, it was a death sentence. 
I don't know the statistics, I can't remember all of them, but hundreds of thousands of people were being infected and the world was quite afraid. Many groups were being blamed, many barriers were being erected, and many judgments were being made. I'm sad and somewhat ashamed to say that one Sunday I saw our district publication out on our bulletin board had an article proclaiming AIDS was God's judgments on the homosexual community. It was easy to run away, to not help, to cast judgment to the fear and ignorance. But I and many others who have been influenced by our faculty, by a faculty that would encourage us um, in the name of Christ not to run away, but to turn towards the problem. They would encourage us to empathize with and be respectful to those who are suffering. They would encourage us to look for and to develop ways to help, to treat, and to effectively connect with everyone being impacted. During that time, I was working half-time with the Quincy Hospice Program as their clinical social worker. So I was connected with some individuals and families infected by the AIDS epidemic. I was privileged and proud to be a part of a number of efforts that only worked directly with clients impacted by AIDS, but also to be a part of efforts to provide some education to local communities, as well as to the Christian community. In addition, we organized an ecumenical AIDS healing service committee here in Quincy. Some of the projects I was privileged to be a part of, one was a national Nazarene conference on ministering to people with AIDS organized under the leadership of Dr. Cecil Paul and held at Camp Taconic. It was pretty pro progressive and somewhat risky at the time. I led a Nazarene social work conference here at ENC and was able to co-lead a seminar on a compassionate response to those impacted by AIDS. And I co-led that with uh, Reverend Doug Spearman, who at that time was the pastor of the South Weymouth Church of the Nazarene. In my role as hospice social worker, I chaired a conference for caregivers for those working with people affected by AIDS. If I say so myself, it was a cutting edge conference at the time. We had a head of the State Department of Epidemiology. The doctor gave a really wonderful and accurate uh, report of the condition and situation of AIDS and its transmission. We had a therapist from the Dimmick uh, mental Health Center in Boston who worked with um, those with HIV infected or they were IV drug users. We had personal interviews with those affected by AIDS um, and hearing their stories. And Dr. Larry Kessler, the chaplain of the AIDS Action Committee, presented on spirituality and the church's response to AIDS. It was hosted at ENC. We were all being stretched. Most significant in this time and meaningful was to be a part of the Ecumenical AIDS Healing Service Planning Committee that developed with Esther Sanger and I and Joe Darty from the AIDS Action Committee, who was our representative in Quincy, who said, how might the church help? And Esther and I was given the assignment to speak to the Ecumenical Clergy Group. And before we left that meeting, 
Harry Soper, the method, the Wallace, minister of the Wallston Methodist Church, said he had just came down from Landmass. He said, we had healing services up there. Would that work here? And people got on board. Catholics, Protestants, gay Episcopalian ministers, Pentecostal ministers, uh, a few Nazarenes among us. And we worked together for about five years. And the goal was to provide a healing service every six months at various churches in Quincy. This was a very diverse group of clergy in Quincy, and I was allowed to be a part of it. The church would open their doors, welcome people in, provide a time of music. A few times, the ENC Acapella Choir provided the music. Read scripture, a short homily, a time of healing prayer, and then fellowship. During that time of healing, there were four stations throughout the sanctuary. Each had four clergy members who would share with clients, lay hands, and offer prayer. The services were quite profound and quite meaningful. In conclusion, I'd like to remember one particular service that was very stretching for me, but also very affirming. It was in the Church of the Presidents, the Unitarian Church. It was a very diverse group. I was thinking, I was not responsible for the service, I could just sit back and observe. I was thinking, here I am, a man from a small Nazarene church in Virginia, the state of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, if you read your history. And we were very proud of that. <laughs> but sitting here in Massachusetts, in the church of John Adams and John Quincy Adams, sitting with a very diverse group, and being ministered to by a very diverse group of clergy and experiencing a sense of being stretched, but also feeling very grounded with the thought that I am doing the work that God has given me to do. I had the thought that my Father in heaven and possibly even my earthly father was pleased with me. It was a very blessed and a very meaningful time. Now, man, I could go on and on. <laughs> Lots of stories. I'll stop here. And you can invite me back five years from now if you like <laughs> to hear 